Let me just put this out there, okay? I like control. I like to have the remote control. If, it, if we're watching TV, I've got it. And I don't like the feeling when things are out of my control. When I see a problem, I like to fix it, and I like to fix it my way. I don't want to wait. I want to do it right then. And because of that flaw, it's hard for me to help Tori clean the house because she'll give me a specific and a simple task, and then she'll check back with me, and the next thing she knows, I'm up in the attic pulling up floorboards. I'm doing something totally different than what she's asked me to do because I saw something else and I wanted to do something about it right then. I can be obsessive. I can be a control freak and I can try and shove round pegs into square holes. Tori and I bought our first house about a year after we got married and we were super excited. We have all these plans. We were going to fix it up, you know, and just like uh, the gains, and we were going to do these colors, and we were going to do this on that wall. We did some minor re renovation with some help from some people from the church. One day I noticed, though, outside, the faucet hose was dripping. And keep in mind, this was before I was aware of my utter ineptitude with house repair. <laughs> but that dripping, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't put it out of my mind. That incessant dripping, I just had to do something about it. So I decided that I was going to fix it. I Googled what I could Google, and I watched some videos, and I read some things. I tried to turn off the water. I went and bought a new faucet head, got out my monkey wrench, and I was going to fix it. I had it all under control. Well, before long, I had completely ripped the pipe out of the wall, and water was pouring into the basement behind the drywall. That's bad. If you don't know anything about it, it's bad. You don't want to do that. Well, I did the next logical thing, right? I made a hole in the ceiling in the basement. See, I didn't know that the shutoff valve for the house didn't work. And I probably should have checked it. And other people would know that, that you would do that kind of thing. Well, by the time it was all said and done, I did fix it. I took care of it. I paid a plumber $300 to come out to the house, and then I still had a hole in the ceiling. I like to be in control. I don't like to ask for help. But the biggest mistakes of my life have been when I thought that I could handle it. Have you ever done that with a situation in your life? You thought you could handle it, and you didn't really want to ask for help or tell anybody about it, but in the end, you made the situation 10 times worse. The Apostle Paul shows us what to do in these type of situations. And if you're not familiar with Paul, he was a bad guy uh, before he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He persecuted the early church. He was against the early church. But after his salvation experience, he went on to be one of the greatest uh, evangelists of all time. He wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, he started 14 churches, and he is immensely influential in the early church. And Paul is someone that we can definitely look to uh, for an example of a healthy soul. He knew where his home was. He was in tune with his inner man. He knew who he was on the inside, not the facade that he had built. But it wasn't because his life was struggle-free. Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and abandoned and imprisoned. But he bounced back. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16... He gives us some hints on how his outlook was different, 
how, how it might stand in contrast to how we want to handle things. This book was written to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them all the plans that he has, cities to go, places to preach the gospel. But keep in mind these things when we read these verses. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 6. He's talking about his plans. He says, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want you, uh, I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. There's, there's lots of clues here how he handled his plans. Notice words like perhaps and I hope and if the Lord permits. In other verses in this chapter, he says phrases like, if it seems advisable, or for I intend. And it's clear in these verses that Paul had surrendered even the practical elements of his travel and his schedule to God's plan. He'd come to the point in his life that he had learned that he wasn't in control, that God was in control. He knew who was in charge. Instead of holding tightly onto his schedule for comfort, he realizes God's will could lead him somewhere else than he thought he was going to go. And that happened several times in the New Testament. He wanted to go this place, but God wouldn't let him, and he went this other place instead. Hebrews 11 lists all these men in the Bible and these women of great faith. And I've always been intrigued by what Hebrews 11 says and other places of the Bible say, say about Paul, I mean, excuse me, Abraham's faith. Has that ever stuck out to you? Hebrews 11 says this about Abraham. 11.8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's what it says about Abraham's faith. Shoot, if not knowing where you're going is a virtue, then I am a saint. Praise the Lord. I still that people tell me all the time, oh yeah, it's down on this road, it's down on that road. I was like, tell me the fast food restaurant that's near there and I probably can find it. But it's not just that he went not knowing where he was going. Abraham had a life, he had a family, he had a house, he had people, he had a nation and God called him out of that. He called him out of this pagan nation from an idol worshiping family to go and follow a God that he didn't know much about to a place that he knew nothing about. Are you in for that trip? Are you ready to say, okay, God, take me wherever you want me. I don't need any details on the front half. I'm excited to go to Indonesia. But if you told me, Phil, get on this plane. I have no idea where it's going and you don't know either. And I'm not sure when you're coming back or if you're coming back. I'm not in for that trip. But Abraham had the faith to step out. Something I've learned in my short time as being a head pastor is that I can't fix everything. I can't preach hard enough. I can't connect hard enough to do what this church needs. But what I can do is I can submit and I can surrender and I can yield to God and trust that God will do what he wants to get done. In the past, I've tried to make things work and make things move. And at best, I'm ineffective. And at worst, I make things worse. 
So be careful when you feel the need to push God into action. Be careful when you try to manipulate a situation to your desired outcome. God might give you what you want, but you might not like it when you get it. See, Paul knew to make plans, but be ready to change them and yield them to God. Abraham knew where, uh, he didn't know where God was taking him, but he knew who was in control. The Lord's Prayer tells us to pray this way. How does it say it? It says, thy will be done. Not my will be done. Thy will be done. Isaiah 30, verse 21, God speaking to the people of Israel. And it says this. It says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. God wants to lead us. It, it, he wants to lead us like the people of Israel. He wants to show us the way. Now, is he always going to give us all the directions all at once? No, he wants us to step out by faith. The people of Israel were led by a, a, a fire in the day and a cloud, or excuse me, opposite, cloud in the day and a fire at night. The Bible tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God doesn't always give us a spotlight 100 miles down the road, but he gives us the next step when we need the next step. If when God called me into the ministry, he told me I would be standing here before a crowd of 200 or so people, I would have said, no, no, I can't do that, God. I'm not that person. But God gives us what we need when we need it. He gives us what we can handle and what we can can grasp for the moment. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's difficult and it takes faith. But God wants to lead you. See, when things get hard and we begin to struggle, we tend to hold on to control. But control is really an illusion. The only one that has control is God himself. You see, in the writings to the church in Corinth... Paul says over and over and over, if this is what God wants me to do, if the Lord permits. See, the safest place uh, to live is surrendering all of your control to God. And that's an awesome place to be, though. It's kind of scary at first, but the alternative is this, that you're in control and that you have to make everything happen and it's all on you and the pressure's on you and that is a life that will crush you. First Peter 5, 6 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I think this is how Paul was able to maintain a healthy soul. I can't imagine the pressure of 14 churches in persecuted areas, false teachers abounding, shipwrecks, beatings. It's enough to stress you out just thinking about it. But Paul says, wherever I go, I'm content. How do we get there? We have to surrender and say, God, not my will be done. Thy will be done. Here's a simple test for you to be able to just start to understand whether you're in control or God's in control. Whether you want God's will and you're yielding and submitting to God's will or your will. Two simple things. One, are you carving out time to pray. Are you carving out time to pray? Prayer is an amazing gift, but it is an unclaimed gift by the church. 
Sadly, many are too distracted or too impatient to pray. And I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor Phil is right there with you. That demon thing on my hand that I punch on all the time is always ringing and it wants my attention. Or my own ADD and distraction and just, oh, there's something shiny over there and I, I, I can't focus. How many of you guys looked over there? Jeez, you're like me too, huh? But it's hard to pray sometimes. But what it is is you're saying, God, it doesn't matter what's on my phone right now. God, it doesn't matter what the computer's saying. God, I don't need to check that thing or that other. God, I'm going to trust that everything else is in control, and I am going to spend some time praying and listening. F.B. Meyer said this, the greatest tragedy of life is not an unanswered prayer, but in an offered prayer. D.A. Carson says, a prayerless person is a disaster waiting to happen. I found that one of the most important aspects of prayer is it changes my focus. It reminds me who is in control and reminds me that this life is temporary. And when I bow my knee to pray, I bow my knee in subjection to the king of kings. Your prayers should not be trying to convince God to do your will, but rather you're surrendering your will to his will. And Paul made it clear in his letter to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. This is an awesome, an awesome verse. Here it goes. You ready? Rejoice always. When should I rejoice? Always. What about when I lose my, lose my job? Rejoice Always. What about when I, my car breaks down? Rejoice always. Are you submitting to God's will? And the next thing it says, it goes on and says, pray without ceasing. When should we pray? Always, without ceasing, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. What should we do next? Give thanks in what kind of circumstances? All circumstances. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ in you. So here's a little test for you. Are you rejoicing always? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? Is that easy? Absolutely not. But what it is, it is the will of God for your life. Next, are you meditating and are you focusing and studying God's word? Wow, Pastor Phil, this is really just profound statements. Pray and read your Bible. Hey, are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you carving out time to pray? And are you carving out time to study God's word? We used to sing a song when I was growing up. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Do we got it yet, though? Are we growing? Do we got it under control? It's simple things. But you can't say you're yielding to God's will unless you're carving out time to pray and carving out time to meditate and study God's word. I've known families that every Sunday they have a family dinner. Grandmas, uncles, cousins, all of them are there. They eat together. It's this big, giant feast, and it's awesome. Everyone's together, 
and it's great. And that's what our Sunday morning worship is. That's what our Sunday morning gathering is. Everyone's together. We're singing together. We're studying God's word together. We're praying together. We're laughing together. This is our Sunday family dinner. But you cannot just eat once a week. So you have to take the responsibility on Monday morning to whip up some eggs. Hey, on Wednesday, you got to go and bake some chicken for yourself. On Friday, you need to cook some barbecue. You need to learn as a Christian to feed yourself. I've been in churches before where they, uh, I've heard people blame the pastor that they weren't growing. What? You want to be fed everything? Your only time you're ever opening God's word is on Sunday. You got to take responsibility for your Christian walk. Take the initiative. Because the will of God is in the word of God. And you're not yielding yourself to God's word if the only time you get it is on Sunday. You have to learn to feed yourself. Now look, this is not what I'm saying here is that you can just check off boxes. Okay, I prayed, I read three verses. No, you actually have to want the relationship side of those things. And actually take the time to say, God, I'm going to read your word till I get something from you. God, I'm going to pray until you begin to work in me. Jesus said to Satan in the uh, desert of temptation in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are you yielding to God's will? Paul yielded and submitted his will. He said, if the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, then I'll go here. The simple test is this. If you want to know if you're yielding to God's will, are you praying? Are you reading God's word? There's something else that's interesting in these last few verses of the last chapter of this letter to the church in Corinth. Paul mentions seven of his friends in just eight verses. Seven of his friends in just eight verses. These were fellow laborers. These were people that he was encouraging and they were encouraging him. These were people with the same mission in mind. He gives us all the examples of people that he had gathered around himself. Paul surrounded himself with like-minded people that helped him and built him up. Now, because I'm the one that gets up here and I speak for 25 minutes, you can get the impression that this whole thing is about me. But you have no idea how many people prop me up. You know, you know some of them. You know my wife and the staff and uh, uh, some of the elder men that come alongside me and meet with me and instruct me and pray with me and encourage me. You know the volunteers that come alongside? These people that prop me up. But there's a lot of people that you don't know. People that you'll never meet, like Anthony Fusco and Eric Capace and Steve Proctor and Caleb Simmers and Matt Thistle and John Oliver. And that's not to mention my parents and my brothers. See, no man is an island. None of us can do anything worth doing on our own. And if we do do it on our own, we're going to end up crushed. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18.1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Another version says he rages against sound judgment. See, someone that isolates themselves from people will not have a healthy soul. They become self-serving and they lack judgment. 
They become a person that thinks mostly about themselves and they have a warped uh, perception. And this is why community is important. Because our perception of reality can become distorted if we don't have anyone to balance and check it. There's many times that I tell Tori something and she says, "Ah, you know that's not right. There's even more times, I'm kind of critical, that I do it to her. (laughs) You can't, you can't think that way. Don't say that. Even if I agree with her, I'm just that type. I'm contrarian. We need people like that to say, hey, you're not thinking right. Come on, you know better than that. Hey, you think that about that person? That's not how they are. How did you get to that place from, from where you're at? We need people around us. See, Paul, through his life, he practiced this principle And you can see them all over the Bible. Barnabas, Silas, Mark, Timothy, Titus, Gaius, Luke, Tarius, Aristarchus. They're just some of the people that traveled all over the world with Paul preaching the gospel. They traveled thousands of miles together. They ate together. They talked. They rode. They sailed all over the world. They sat around campfires and shared their lives with each other. See, isolation has never helped anyone. But our society is becoming increasingly isolated. We interact through screens, and then we only show parts of our lives that we want people to see. But 70 years ago, it wasn't like this. You knew the milkman and the mailman and the local grocer and your family doctor. You saw them at church. You saw them at the diner. You knew your neighbors. Families ate together. Now, obviously, things weren't perfect. There was racism, sexism, war, but they had this right. They knew not to isolate themselves. They knew they needed a community. But America is a lonely nation. And churches can be a lonely place too. But we have to combat isolation. We have to fight against it. And what that means is that means you might need to say some awkward hellos. Hey, how are you doing? (laughs) You might have to step up and be the one that introduces yourself. Take the initiative. The Bible says someone that wants friends must show himself friendly. Naturally, I don't like to do this. I can feel like a doofus sometimes. Half the time someone says, what's your name? And I said, good, how are you? (laughs) But we need to reach out and say the awkward hello. If you're here and you're feeling lonely, there's a good chance there's someone else that feels just like you. Go out and find them and make friends. Come on. Say the awkward hello. Break out of that isolation. Got to put some people in your world for you to reach out to and for you to build community with each other. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. See, we need friends to bring out every facet of who we are. We need a multitude of friends. We also need friends to help us see every facet of who God is. Because some parts of God are only seen in community. And that is why we gather together with this thing called the church. See, you have to look outside yourself. We have to admit that we need help in this life. The Bible says a multitude of counselors brings us safety. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 
See, we like to have control. But when we force situations and we take matters into our own hands and refuse to ask for help, in the end, you'll end up with a broken pipe and a hole in your ceiling and a water leaking into your basement. Instead, yield to God's will. Add to your plans phrases like, if the Lord permits, and if it's, if it's God's will, and mean it. Learn to say things like, thy will be done. Not my will, God, thy will. And when you begin to get angry and frustrated that things are out of your control, ask God to change your perception and say, God, I know that you're in control and I'm going to trust God that you're going to work it out. Learn to go to a place where you let go of your schedule and have faith like Abraham to set out to follow God wherever it leads. When things get hard and we begin to struggle, don't hold on to control because we know that control is really an illusion. Instead, give control to Jesus and yield to God's plan through prayer and studying God's word. And don't forget to surround yourself with like-minded people that help you and build you up. They have the real mission in mind. Don't isolate yourself. Reach out. Ask for help. Because our perception of reality can become distorted if we isolate ourselves. We need people to bounce and check it. And then step out and say some awkward hellos. It's not easy, but it is worth it. Your soul today will be helped by these things. Yielding to God's will and surrounding yourself with people who are surrendered to Jesus. These are the things that we need to have a healthy soul that's at home. Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads. As the band comes, we asked God in the, the beginning to tell us where we needed to change and to change our perception and to dig deep into who we are. So that's the question today. Are you submitted to God's will? If you don't have those first two real easy things of carving out real time to pray and real time to study God's word, I'm sorry, but you're not there yet. You got some things you can work on. You got, you got some things that you need to do and, and to add to your habits. And then are you surrounding yourself with people that have the great commission in mind to reach out and to bring God's kingdom and to further the advancement and to bring glory to God? There your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This whole series, we've been dealing with the inner man, our soul. How is it? Are you being honest about it, about who you are on the inside? We're not talking about the facade that you've built and this reputation that you've built. You might be someone here that's a, a deacon, a, a life group leader. And you might not even have a relationship with God. I've been to many services where pastor's wives have gotten saved because we build this reputation of who we are, but we don't really have it. There's nothing more sad than that because the Bible tells us about 
that. There's going to be a time when people are going to stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, I did many things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's a scary thing. You could get that settled today once and for all. Yeah, you'll have to put down some pride. Absolutely. But I would never be separated from God for eternity just because of people's opinion of me. You might have a relationship with God, but you say, you know, I don't. I know I'm saved, but I haven't been walking with him. I haven't been yielding to his will. I've been taking things into my own hands. I've been forcing the issue. I've been trying to push God and make him move on things that I want. I definitely haven't said, if the Lord permits. I've put a goal out there and I'm pushing towards it no matter what. Maybe today you need to say, God, I am sorry. I surrender. Thy will be done, not my will, God. Maybe you're that person that you've kind of isolated yourself. You don't have those people around you to build you up and to, to push you towards Christ. That's not okay. We've got to do something about that. You got to begin to show yourself friendly and reach out. Find those other people that might feel that way. And start community. Begin to balance each other and check each other's perception. God dealt with your heart this morning about anything. The altar's open right now. This isn't a magic place. But it is a place to surrender. And yeah, you got to put your pride down and uh, the perception that maybe someone will look at you and think that you're a sinner. Well, we're all sinners. The altar's open now if God's dealt with your heart about anything this morning.